the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral Podcast. Thrilled you're listening. 99 million podcasts the last count, I think, throughout the world. So I am thrilled that you are listening to this one, The Spiritual Spiral. My name, of course, is Eddie Cohn, host and creator of the show. Amazing, thoughtful, incredible. I'm thinking of adjectives here to describe today's episode. I have a, I had the pleasure to speak to Dan Lutz, a bass player based here in Los Angeles on my show. We spoke about almost two weeks ago. I'm a little behind on my editing here. I'm just in the midst of, I'm, I'm in the midst of finishing my book. So it's, it's been an incredibly time-consuming project. So I've just been wrapped up in that. You're in for a wonderful talk. And, and I've, I've sort of Got out of this discussion online with a friend of mine, actually a mutual friend of Dan and myself. And I'm thinking about, before the talk with Dan, I'm thinking about feeling and thinking and sort of the intersection of those two ideas. And I think I'm realizing I am definitely somebody who feels a lot and who thinks a lot and sort of the confusion that can arise if you're one of those types of people. I, I think I struggle being an artist and also thinking a lot and feeling a lot. It, it feels like it's difficult to navigate the world now where feelings almost don't matter. Or you're supposed to feel a certain way. If you don't feel like everybody else feels, maybe there's something wrong with you. Or stop thinking, just do. And I almost feel like my podcast evolved out of that sort of strange intersection. How do I make sense of a world that often makes no sense? How do I live and survive in a world as an artist, as somebody who feels and thinks in a world where it almost feels like people aren't really feeling or thinking anymore. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? So I'm saying all this as an intro because Dan, to me, plays an instrument that is all about feel. And ironically, and I say this in the conversation with Dan, I don't know if I ever really, quote unquote, heard the bass until about maybe like 15 years ago. And I think there's sort of a subtlety, a nuance to the bass that maybe I just wasn't maybe I just wasn't picking up for the many years that I played music I was more concerned with lyrics I was more concerned with the drums the beat uh, it's it's very complicated but I do find it interesting that it took me so long as a as a musician to really quote unquote feel the bass so I don't know I've I've had a lot of guests on the show but I really felt connected to what Dan was talking about. I feel very blessed to have had him not only on my show, but he also played the bass on about four or five songs on my upcoming record. So um, I think Dan is a pure musical powerhouse here in Los Angeles. He has played on top-notch, Grammy-winning, award-winning records uh, from jazz to fusion to funk to rock to pop. Um, he was going to be on the Hamilton. He was going to be playing on the Hamilton Broadway show here in L.A. But then, of course, it got um, 
uh, it got, I don't want to say torn down or taken down. It was obviously postponed because of the pandemic. So the, the guy is a freaking bass magician. And I just feel very lucky to have him on the show. Yeah, he sent me a text saying that he's worked with producer Larry Klein on Broadway shows. He's toured with musical director Jonathan Butler. Uh, that's only just sort of scratching the surface on what he's accomplished as a bass player. So, and, and I think to pay respect to him and his bass playing and his thoughtfulness, the show today, all of the bass is, is, is Dan. And, you know, during the pandemic, when I reached out to him, you know, we connected on Instagram and he posted these solo renditions of these, these beautiful songs and one of my favorites was Tears for Fears, Head Over Heels, which to me today, to this day, is still one of the greatest pop slash rock songs of all time. So throughout today's episode, you get to hear Dan and his solo rendition of, of many incredible songs. I'm not going to say which songs they are because I want you to figure them out. So I'm only telling you what one of them is, Head Over Heels, Tears for Fears. So... Um, I don't know about you guys, but when I was done talking to Dan, I, I just felt more reflective. You can find Dan on Instagram at Triple Lutz. I never asked him what that means. I get the sense I, I think I know what it means now after speaking to him. But anyway, you can find Dan on Instagram at Triple Lutz. As always, you know where to find me. I have a slew of music coming out um, on Spotify, on Bandcamp, eddiecone.bandcamp.com. IamEddieCone.com is the website. The book, hopefully, is going to be published by the end of the year. So lots of exciting stuff coming up there. Um, and that's it. I really appreciate the support. Please share the episode with some of your friends. Head over to iTunes, write a review. Dan Lutz, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me and being a part of the Downward Facing Spiritual Spiral podcast. Dan. Yo. I can't see. There we go. Now I can. Great. How's it going, man? It's good. Thanks for doing this. Sorry for the little delay. <laughs> no problem. Yeah. It's like uh, when everybody's home and, uh, you know, you got Zoom going and then, then you have a studio and mics. It's like at just like the, the neighbor's um, landscaper just got here like five minutes ago. I'm like... <laughs> <laughs> It's Bro, like, yeah, that's the joy of working from home, right? Right. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, uh, were you like you just got back from Hawaii, right? Yeah, I did. What was what we was were that? out? It was fun. We took the family and we were out for um, Monday to Monday, the third through the tenth. Okay. And we had a great time, just chilling and chilling in Kona. It was great. Just just a little vacation. Yeah. Wow. It was funny because we were in Hawaii in March of last year when everything shut down. Oh, wow. And uh, and then we were back at the same place a year later. Well, a little bit longer than a year later, um, having a whole nother experience. So it was good. Yeah. Retribution. Was it, <laughs> was it like, was it, um, 
I don't want to talk about this, but I'm just curious. Like, was it, were they, were, did you have to get a bunch of tests over there, everything? Or what was Yeah, you, you had to travel to Hawaii. You have to do a 72 hour test before your flight. And um, yes, yeah, so you have to do a certain test. And we did that, fill out paperwork. You have to upload documents to this website, travel.hawaii or something. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it was intense, and they they checked every document going into the airport. So, um, but yeah, it was it was worth it. It okay. was worth it. And things are picking up now with work and stuff. I'm going to Cabo uh, San Lucas on uh, at the end of the month. Oh, great! And they're like test involved there, or you know, vaccine card and all that kind of stuff. So yeah. It's new uh, rules as touring musicians, you know? Right. Yeah. You know what I was thinking, man? And I don't know if it's because I listened to, I was a drummer and I listened to like a bunch of Van Halen when I was younger. That sort of, drums was sort of my first instrument. I mean, I played piano when I was three, but I guess I start I started playing the drums when I was 12. And okay. I, I don't think... I even really paid attention or even heard a bass guitar until maybe like fif- 15 years ago or so. I, I don't know. Like I, I, <laughs> I never understood or heard it, heard it or got it. I, I, I mean, do you understand what I'm even saying? Yeah. Or, yeah. <laughs> like, well, like explain that to me. Like, and I don't know if it's because I was so about like Eddie Van Halen and Alex Van Halen. I didn't even pay attention to Michael Anthony. I don't know, but just try to explain yeah. what I was missing or, or what you what I'm even talking about. You know, well, I feel like this, it kind of it kind of goes to the role of a bass player in general is like, you know, for the most part, we're supportive. Um, we balance between the, you know, the rhythm and the harmony, but in, in a way, in most contexts at least, um, that can be kind of, you know, uh, you know, overlooked or overheard, hmm. you know, because drums are obviously going to be, you know, most people are going to notice that a groove or a rhythm. And then you're going to hear the harmonies with guitar keys and that specific sound, but usually bass is sitting, everything's sitting on top of that. So it's the last layer, you know, that's, that's there. And then usually the last to be exposed. Oh yeah. <laughs> I even do that with my kids. Like we'll listen and, and they know because I play bass in the house and stuff. They, they know uh, if they hear something like uptown funk or whatever, some group, they're like, that's, you hear the bass line dad. That's so cool. So they can hear it. They can pick it out. But, um, but yeah, I, I do understand what you're saying and where you're coming from. Yeah. yeah. No. And it's, I, I don't know if I, mm-hmm. I started DJing like, you know, seven years ago. I don't know if my awareness, just maybe my musical interests sort of changed because I do recall finally hearing the bass and I was just sort of like, oh, wow. And, and now I really understood and, and, and get what it really provides. It, it really, I guess, for, it really moves the song, you know? Yeah. Like it, it, it does. It's, it's propelling. It's the, and that's what I think you like too, just playing on a few of your tracks. Like, you like that. Oh, wow. The bass is powerful and it's driving and it can really move a section or the way the bass player approaches a certain thing can, you know, intensify it or it can kind of dull it a little bit. And, uh, and that's fun. That's a fun power to play with. Yeah. Know? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It feel it feels almost like the bass is like the gasoline or something. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yep. know. Yeah. 
it has that you know it has that unique marriage between harmony and rhythm and and so there is, it is kind of like the fuel that kind of it 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 touches all the the other instruments in the band in a unique way um and plays with each of the other instruments in a unique way that kind of gives it a lot of power um but I, th- I think it was sting that had some famous quote about saying like the chord isn't a chord until the bass player plays the note, you know, <laughs> and that's so true because, you know, we could play a different note and it changes the whole sound of the chord, you know, everybody else up above. Yeah. So, yeah. So I'm, I'm just, <laughs> I want to get into tech and, and, and social media and, and how your life has changed just gigging over the last year. But I am curious, you know, because I've had, you know, from Adam and this other guy, Tim Cobes, that I just had on. You know, how did you get into the base of, of, of you know, because to me, it, it's a very sort of intellectual instrument. You know, there's yeah. there, to me, it's a very thoughtful and I wouldn't suppose, uh, but but maybe a lot of kids do get into bass. I'm not sure. You know, what was sort of your first awareness towards it? Oh, it was a very non-poetic um, <laughs> entry. Okay, so of I course. Was in, my dad was a my dad was a uh, high school choral teacher, um, and so we grew up around music and shows. And he would do like he had a he had one of those programs that had like eight different choirs, and they were doing musicals and they were festivals and touring. Like he, it wasn't a, a sleepy program. He ran like a really crazy cool program. So I grew up listening to music and being around that. And in third grade they were like, okay, it's time to pick your instrument. And my dad was like, well, you're a bigger kid. Why don't you play the bass? And um, he's like, you can handle it. It might be fun. And he also knew kind of from being in the industry, sort of that bass players were a little bit more in demand than a guitar Mm -hmm. player or, you know, something, a a singer or a keyboard player. Like, and and I had already been having piano lessons since, since I can remember, but he was like, try the bass. And so in third grade, I just, because of my size and because my dad recommended it, I I started playing for about two years. And then I moved to L.A. with my family when I was from Philadelphia to L.A. I guess I was about 13, 12. Um, And the, the junior high school that I went into needed a bass player. And so... Um, I played, I was like, I guess I can play. And that's what, and then I started playing electric bass, but I was still playing saxophone and other instruments, but bass really kind of, it kind of, um, became something that was, that was like my favorite. It'd be the way, it, the way, the way it functioned in the, uh, in the band and in the jazz band. And also just, I, maybe that it was my first instrument and, and there was only one of them in the, in the band mm. instead of like yeah. five, six something so i kind of like that uh i kind of like the role it played and that's that's where it started yeah wow but it's weird like i feel like um your hands were on a lot of sort of instruments or or just having your dad around like it feels like you've got a pretty broad education when it comes to music yeah yeah i do i i will um not i won't say i'm you know really good at (laughs) <laughs> uh, all the other instruments, but right. I, I can play piano a little bit, but when I, I got my music ed degree at Cal state Northridge in, in, um, and so I thought it would be performance, but I ended up just doing music education. And I really enjoyed that because it gave me, you know, 
some different tools. And then I got my master's at CalArts, um, and that's where things really kind of opened up. And I started studying with Charlie Hayden and met amazing musicians there and, and, and sort of developed myself as a, as a bass player there. Um, and so kind of that's, that's kind of how I, I started, you know, diversifying. And then, it, and then I, even though I was studying jazz, I started to do different things and sessions and stuff. And, and, uh, I turned, you know, I started to like, Oh, I don't really know if I like jazz so much to pursue it. Cause I knew that it was such a calling and I kind of liked being able to do a show here and a tour there and a recording session and, and, and then a jazz gig and stuff. So I kind of was drawn to the diversity of things hmm. and even the teaching aspect of it was, was always appealing to me. Yeah. It's, I was thinking about this word specialist. Like for me, I, I don't play anything fantastically, but I, I do enough to, if that's such a word, fantastically. Um, yeah. I, you know, I, as a songwriter and a singer, I, I need to, you know, be pretty knowledgeable on guitar, bass. I've even played bass on a few songs, but I never became a specialist. I guess my interest was was expressing myself through songs, you know? Yeah. Did you, yeah. where, I, I think of you as a specialist, um, you know, did, did you, but then the irony here though, is that you're a specialist as a bassist, but it does feel like you, did you realize that, Hey, I'm going to have to diversify if I want to, um, no, I, okay. I mean, I don't think so. I, you know, I feel like there were, there were always a few things that I liked to do. And I, and I think that the, I think that. I think maybe early on in college, I was kind of drawn to the idea of like, I knew, well, here, let me back up. I always knew that I wanted to play bass and support a family doing it, right? Mm. So I knew that I wanted to have a family. I knew that was kind of in the cards for me, something I was pursuing. And um, and I was like, I don't want to tour. I don't want to be the guy that's on the bus, you know, six months of the year. So I knew enough to know that I would have to have you know, a few streams of income or revenue that would also interest me that would be able to, you know, let that dream come true. So if something came up where I could try and play a show, I wouldn't, I wasn't, I didn't have the artist mentality enough to think, oh, I'm just playing jazz these days. Like, don't give me that show <laughs> because that wasn't my motivation. My win was having a family. So mm. if I'm bringing my bass to do a show, that doesn't, you know, necessarily negate my lack of chops for a fusion gig at the baked potato or, you know, like um, I just saw it all as one big thing. And the, like I said, the diversity was interesting to me, not the specialization, but I like that, you know, I feel like, um, I, I like the fact that I'm comfortable in those different environments. So maybe in some way there's a specialist like, Oh, you know, you, like I think of somebody like Carlitos Del Puerto, a wonderful bass player in town, and he can do everything. And I always loved my favorite bass players weren't necessarily the ones that could just play the most amazing, you know, licks and the fastest or even that had just the deepest grooves. But I actually was drawn to like people like James Genus and people who played both basses and could do a pop gig and then a jazz gig and then an R&B gig and then read a show and go on tour with some, like, I love that. I, I wanted to have all of the music and all of the experiences and all of the different grooves. And, 
some people tell me like, don't you love just playing? Well, like, what's your favorite thing? You play jazz or rock or art? I'm like, I like playing with a good drummer. Like, that's yeah. my favorite. <laughs> I don't really care what the style is as long as it like we're feeling good. If it's straight ahead, I love playing with you know a straight ahead drummer that's killing or an R&B or a gospel person. I just like that groove. It doesn't matter about the style to me. Yeah. thinking like you know jake played the drums on these songs um, yeah he's so great he's and amazing great. yeah but i was thinking though like if if anybody listened to the well when people listen to the record nobody would know that the two of you weren't in the room that it was all yeah. like if if the pandemic never happened or you know what i'm i guess my point is is that i don't know if anybody would know if um you know, you and Jake were in the same room. Yeah. But then, but then I'm, I'm thinking, could it, would, would it have been better if you two were in the same room or, or maybe, or, or just would have been different or, or like, do you miss that? I, I'm not even sure. There's a couple layers here, I guess I'm even thinking, but <laughs> yeah. do you know what I'm saying? Well, well, yeah. I mean, my favorite music recorded and to listen to is live. I love going to live shows I love recording with live musicians in a room. I love listening to live recordings of bands. You yeah. know, like there's something that just happens where, um, you know, it's something about inhibition and passion and, you know, and expertise, like everything kind of just comes together in those moments and they're just, they're, they're awesome. So I would probably tend to say that if Jake and I were in the same room tracking, you know, I don't know if it would have been better, but it certainly would have been different. Like there would have been a, a synergy and an energy that, you know, just by just by hanging out and sharing a few stories and, and breathing the same air for a little bit, like you just kind of connect. Yeah. And so, you know, sometimes that that yields something really cool. Um and I do, I would always prefer going into the studio. And, and even though I have a setup here at home, um, I still, you know, tell producers or, you know, uh, people who call me, I'm like, hey, first of all, I'm happy to come to you because I like that energy and feedback. I've also done, I guess now since the pandemic, I've done four movies from home and about six albums and just by myself here. And that's fun too. There's a lot of more online communication some of the zoom i've done sessions with zoom i've done sessions facetime and uh i've done like just sessions with text and emails like here's this baseline check this out what do you think about this so it takes a little bit longer but you know i enjoy the creative process and i like being here and uh you know just having that time and that freedom to kind of just explore without worrying about we got to be out by five and we need to eat lunch you know like right. i like freedom here it's funny though, because I remember um, when I was sort of in the midst of my album, um, I was there was like three or four songs because I tried to do as much as I could instrumentally, 
Yeah. And I was doing the synth bass for a while on some of these songs, but then some of them kind of rock, and I'm like, huh, I need to, I need, and I'm, then I thought of you, and I reached out to you, and I remember the first song you played on, like, it blew me away, and, and, and like what you were saying, we were basically just texting and emailing, and yeah. I, but I was so excited after hearing that first take that like I I had to call you and I don't even know if we, I don't know I don't even know if we spoke but I remember just like because sometimes my enthusiasm and I'm like so stoked and happy that like yeah. like me expressing that through a text it's like eh, it, yeah. <laughs> no so I just like I felt like I I wanted you to hear my enthusiasm and the only way yeah. I don't know so it's it's like I guess to your point, um, yeah, I, I think when great people are involved, and obviously you you know how to record at home, and, and the drums are good, and and it's recorded well. I, I do believe if the musicianship is is high quality, which I've been lucky to be surrounded by, it's still going to be great. But boy, like when you're in the room and seeing it go down, or or just sharing in that sort of moment, I, I certainly miss that. Yeah. And, you know, I miss that too. And, and a lot of times that was something and is something that kind of like um, fortifies and solidifies relationships and working relationships too. So if you're not a social person and you're trying to regain work and stuff, you know, it, this is a harder environment. The, sometimes being in a studio with people and you can just connect and chat and, you know, talk and, that kind of, you know, is like, oh, by the way, I've got this project coming up or that part, you know, and it kind of, you know, it's like business happens on the golf course. It's the same thing. Like the music business, a lot of it happens in the studio. And I really miss that connection and, you know, jumping from project to project and stuff. So, yeah, hopefully that comes back. You, I feel like maybe I want to talk about business and the impact that tech and music have had, because I feel like you've been aware of you've i mean you've thought of dan lutz as a business i mean clearly there's an artistic aspect to what yes. you're doing and but yeah. but this is the thing that i struggle with is like the impact that spotify napster uh it feels like the music business expects the artists to do their own pr do their own <laughs> music videos yeah. and and do as much as they can on their own and I, i'm Maybe that's affected or impacted you, but maybe since you're more like not the lead, you know, singer, mm -hmm. I, but I don't know. I mean, I'm sure you've struggled with this. Again, I, I have this way of sort of talking about stuff without asking a question, but, yeah. you know, I don't know. It's no, just, I, yeah, go ahead. Well, I was going to, yeah, it, I feel like I do, I, I am feeling the impact of, you know, everything moving to streaming and, and you know, everything moving to, you know, Home, more home studio, home produced type of things and people on budgets and especially in TV and film, a lot of that has now shifted to online and they're kind of like still sort of figuring out how to pay musicians and composers for streaming content and all that kind of stuff. And the days of the big film scores, you know, every week at, at you know, Fox or whatever are, you know, not happening anymore. Um, but there is, you know, there is still music to be made and, and people are always going to be creating and, and, you know, intellectual property is so important. And 
last year, like, you know, I was set up to play, let's see, in March of last year, I, right before I left for a week, we were in rehearsals for Hamilton uh, hmm. and we were about to open at the Pantages, I think in two weeks from that. So I was squeezing in a vacation and then uh, I heard when I was at, on vacation that Hamilton was postponed and then when we got home, you know, moved and gone. And now I think we just heard that Broadway's opening in September yeah. to full capacity. And I would imagine that's in LA as well. So anyway, I had my whole year of touring and the show just taken away. So a few months into the pandemic, I, you know, was like losing my mind because I just wanted to be creative and play. Yeah. And uh, so I started doing like little videos and, and uh, these little, um, I don't know. They, they were really honestly like uh, cathartic outlets for me to just create. And so I, you know, would be reminded of like a song from my childhood and then I would try and figure it out on bass and play it. And then um, it kind of just went from there. And some people were like, you know, excited or like text. Oh, I love these. And it started to turn into a thing. And so then I started to like it kind of served two purposes of like getting me through the pandemic where there was no work and <laughs> You know, scratching the creative itch. And that was really, that was a really cool thing that came out of the pandemic for me. Yeah. I talk about this a lot on the show and I know it, could, it anytime one criticizes you know the world we live in you walk that fine line of like oh you're just angry or a hater but I do think I'm intrigued by so much content you know we be it Netflix Hulu Spotify so many streaming services but I do think the one cultural impact of that is that I think we are taking artists for granted. Mm. And I can't put my finger on it, but I don't think people people are just so in awe of this um, access to the, qu the quantity that yeah. I don't think people are really thinking about how much work is going into a Quentin Tarantino and Glorious Bastards movie that, that you know, was a four-year process. And, you know, I think, you know, there are more opportunities potentially for artists, maybe, I, I, I'm not, I don't know. But yeah. I think the result is companies aren't paying as much and that because people don't want to pay anymore, um, I don't know, it's, it's this strange shift that's happening and i think we're in the midst of it and it's still happening i, I don't know it's it's just interesting yeah. i i'm i'm na i'm still navigating and trying to figure it out yeah there's a lot of i mean there's so many cool things that opened up with you know over the last like 10 15 years with online you know if you had a youtube following or instagram tiktok like all that stuff now 
weighs pretty heavily into, you know, a bigger, for example, like maybe distribution or marketing. It'll, it, if the work is almost done or they can pick up at 10,000 followers, then they don't have much work to do. And that's great. They can build on that. And so many people can get there on their own if they're studied the algorithms and figured it out. But yeah. Yeah, but the real artists, or or and of course some of them are real artists. I'm not saying that, but um, it might indeed like mask or shadow somebody who is not wired like that and has no opportunity to develop their social media. But they're a genius artist. I remember some, there was some quote said somebody, some famous musician said like, "I believe that one of the greatest bass players is probably driving a taxi in New York." And, yeah. and I, it rings true to me because you could have this amazing talent and never figure out a way to like, or even have the opportunity to develop it. And so you have to shelf that to survive or to do something else. And so who knows where the real artists are out there. Um, but yeah, but, you know, streaming and this kind of this new take on things, people are finding a way and hopefully the good stuff rises to the top and, and people are able to discern and choose and then make a decision to support that, whether it's like brain feeder or Patreon or those websites that, you know, help artists recoup some of their money for doing it by themselves, which is, which is fantastic. Yeah. You know, how much time are you still practicing? And again, it's, it's sort of like to your point, um, you know, it, it took 12, 14 months to make a record, which, you know, is, is actually kind of pretty quick <laughs> for me. Um, mm-hmm. but like now I'm supposed to spend all this time, you know, promoting. And to be honest, yeah. what I want to be doing is I, I just bought like some new synths, some new drum machines, and I want to learn those and get better at that. And, and I want to hone my craft to songwriting and keep making more music, but I kind of have to spend time with all this other stuff. And I, I don't know, I, I guess back to my original question, it's like, how are you still finding new things to explore um, with bass? And, and cause I, I believe that the amount of time it takes to get great at your craft, it's like this ongoing thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know, honestly, I don't, I don't practice as much as I'd like to. Yeah. <laughs> Usually, what dictates my practice is um, either that I'm like trying to figure out something just to create something um, and just have some like processing time with with uh, <laughs> with just me and my creative space, or a project. Like if I'm doing a session or I'm I get some work, then I will practice and get into the song and. Um, you know, figure, spend time with it a few hours and really kind of, you know, I use that to like, I don't just try and get through a project quickly. I really try and do the very best that I can and really make sure I'm, you know, I'm involved and I'm, I'm, you know, attentive to it. Yeah. And then, but there is one, like I am working, you can see my upright back here, but I'm working on uh, Boeing and just getting that because that's something that I don't do often and I don't get called to do it often. But when I do, I'd like to have it ready. And so I can't really sleep on that. It's like a trumpet player. If they don't work, keep their lips up, like, you know, in a week, they're going to feel rough. They have to play every day or every other day at the very least. 
And so that's something that I'll try and do at least three or four times a week. Just try and, you know, do some long tones and just make sure the bow feels good in my hand. But I don't really like I'm not reading any, you know, I'm not going through theory books. I have three kids. We're homeschooling. I, you know, between all of that stuff, like I don't, by the end of the day, I'm like, yep, I'm done. We're good. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know what I was thinking? Like, boy, when I sent you the songs, I never want to, I'm always scared to quote unquote produce you. Yeah. Yeah. But I also... You know, and and I and I'm also like scared to say like a nine inch nails vibe here or something. Like uh-huh. I'm I'm scared to say too much, but I know I need to tell you something. Um, yeah. So this again, it's sort of like I guess the two things I'm thinking: what are you listening to? When a lot of times you're probably listening to sort of like an early on version, almost demoy take potentially for the song, because the bass, at least in my world, is sort of like you know, kind of drum, scratch vocal, then bass, maybe a yeah. couple, maybe a couple synth lines in the background. But it, to me, the song, when it gets to you, isn't, well, I guess maybe one of them was close to done, but, but a lot of times it's not. So, I mean, yeah. what do you like when somebody's offering you some production or, or, and then sort of like, what are you paying attention to? You know, it's. Yeah. Well, uh, cool. Two cool questions. Um, I think from when I'm paying, what I'm paying attention to listening uh, I always get made fun of by my wife because I don't ever pay attention to lyrics. Like I hear the melody and I hear like the, the intention, but I'm not like trying to get a grip on the song necessarily. My ears go to, you know, harmony rhythm and, and where the spaces are. And um, so I'm always, when I'm trying to do a bass line specifically for like a, a pop tune or a tune that involves a vocalist, I will, um, just try and find spaces where, you know, a baseline might work where I could, you know, not be just your typical root guy, but make a little comment here and there that helps shape something and plays off of a vocal or a guitar line or something like that. So I'm listening for chances to like comment. It's like tenets, you know, or, or improvisation, you know, you say something and then you wait for somebody to respond and then you respond with something different. And, I'm looking for those chances to respond musically in a track. And so I like listening for that kind of stuff. Um, and your tunes are, are a challenge in some ways because your tunes are like, they, they have these sections that maybe just kind of build in intensities and then, and it's not necessarily a cookie cutter approach. It's more like, here's the emotion in this section. And then it comes down and then I need it really intense here. And then, we're going to get crazy at the end, but make sure that you don't give it away in the beginning. It's like, so I like figuring that stuff out. Okay. Um, and then the back and forth is really fun to develop that. So, yeah, I don't know if I answered that. No, you did, but that's an interesting, you know, to me, you know, like what music is so, um, I can't explain it sometimes. Like for me to explain to you and I don't play bass, what I kind of hear or what I want in, in, you know, even if we were in the studio together, um, I'm, yeah. I'm just reaching at straws here, you know. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully, and again, I don't want to say too much because I don't want to, I don't want to ruin your experience also because. Yeah. No, but you know, I love the interaction with, with, and I, like I said, that's why I like being with people too in the, in the studio. 
Um, and everybody has a different approach, but generally I like to work where let me don't say anything, you know, unless you have something really clear cut and a lot of somebody will say like in the vein of Los Lobos or let's do something like Nine Inch Nails or think Pino Palladino or whatever it is. And that, and sometimes it's just the seed that I need. And then let me come up with three things that I think might reflect that. And then I love the feedback, like, Ooh, number two was the closest, but it, it was still too busy, which is usually what I get. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, play a little simpler and do something like, and then I can refine. And I like that back and forth, but I like kind of like letting me come out first and then being able to pull back versus like having to climb up the mountain. I'd rather say like, all right, well, I've been doing this for a while, so I'm going to play the way I hear it. And hopefully that will be a good thing. And then we can work together from that point to, to chisel, like, you know, like carving something out of the stone, like, okay, cool. You gave me this, let's cut this here. Let's trim that shape that love what you did here. Do it there. Like that's, that stuff fuels me. I, I, I almost need that interaction. Yeah. And I get insecure when a producer is like, that was fine. Yeah, no, don't need to do anything. I'm like, really? Let me let me just send you another idea. No, nope, you don't need to. I'm like, okay, I either lost that gig or they are really happy. <laughs> musicians and, and this isn't coming from an egocentric place i like people that are playing the song yeah you know uh to me it's it's about the song like you always feel like you're playing the song yeah but then sometimes it's like like a musician wants to play you know yeah but do you ever feel like um you know, you think you should be doing more, but this song is pretty basic. And I, I don't know. Or or do you wait for somebody to tell you to sort of tone it down a little bit? <laughs> you know, it depends on the environment. Okay. I remember one time I was in high school and we were watching, uh, we were at the Reno Jazz Festival in like in Reno, Nevada. And Pat Metheny's band was there and they were playing and it was awesome. They were playing, uh, and Mark Egan was on bass. Yeah. I don't, you probably don't know who he is, but no, I know the name. Is, yeah. So the whole concert, all he's doing is playing. Hey, but all he's doing is uh, supportive back there in the back. And, and me as like a, a cocky, young, good sophomore, junior in high school bass player, I'm like, you know, oh, he can't play, you know, but everything he's playing is solid, but he can't solo or he can't do this or whatever. I'm judging him. <laughs> and then at the end of the last song, he steps forward and takes the most beautiful fretless solo. It brings the house down. Then he steps right back into his supportive role and finishes the concert. And I was like, that is a lesson. Like that dude sat in the shadows and played the crap out of the bass as he should, as a bass player function, supporting everything going on, all this amazing work. And then when it was his time, he had this amazing, incredible thing to say. And then he went right back and, and supported again. And I just was like, okay, that's it. That's the guy, the guy I want to be. I want to be able to have that ready, but I want to play for the song. And so 
the only time I get really a little bit overzealous and is probably doing church stuff where, you know, I just start, you know, you start going and you just start playing like, Oh, that was inappropriate or that was too much, you know, but it, for there's something so cool about just playing the song and, and letting the part be the part. And it all kind of comes together. Another story, Jim, uh, Jimmy Johnson, incredible bass player in LA and the, fretless bass he's been from Fleming the bb's to the um uh what's the trio the uh wayne johnson trio i used to live loved jimmy johnson but he has been touring with um james taylor and uh, for decades and i heard an interview or somebody told me a story where he was like jimmy don't you get bored you've been playing you know like how sweet it is to be loved by you james taylor for like 20 years and he said when I look at that gig, I look at every note like a bullseye and I have to play I, the challenge is to play it the same way with the same articulation and the same emotion and the same connection every time. And that's the challenge. And that's so mature when, so when somebody's like, I'm going to reharm, you know, how sweet it is, or I'm going to play all these fancy, like, and Jimmy's like, I'm going to try and play it exactly the same way and nail it with perfection and feel and I was like, that's how you approach a song. And so that's what I love to do is like, it's not about me. I'm trying to like make the song come to life. Yeah. So I'm all about parts and McCartney and Pino and Michelle and Diggio Cello and those people who craft parts for the song, you know, yeah. all of Marcus Miller's playing from all of the um, uh, Luther Vandross albums. Oh my gosh. Just like parts. It's crazy. Cool. So that's what I was drawn to, yeah. Michelle is like one of those underrated bass players, I feel like. Yeah. She's so good. She's so good. Her yeah. feel just throws everybody else away. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm thinking a couple more things. Are you okay with time, like a little bit? Yeah, more? I'm good. Okay. Um, the, you know, the other thing I'm, just the parallel here, um, and this even goes back to something you said earlier about like the, there's a, the best bass player in the world or the best drummer in the world is, you know, working an in and out burger right now or something. Yeah, yeah. But, it, but it's weird. It's like, you know, I, I guess I, I'm an extrovert in the sense that, um, you know, I like performing. I, I, I like talking to you and I like going out and having a nice dinner or something, but um, I, but I am a pretty big introvert. You know, I, I, um, like my quiet time to create and write. Uh, I like to be alone. Um, there is a certain introspection to uh, living the life of an artist, uh, living the life as an artist. And, um, and I'm not saying that artists are better than other people. I do think artists, though, sort of set the pulse of, of the world that we live in. And it's weird. This my show sort of evolved out of like my interest in, in how social media and technologies change the world, and mm. I feel like um, technology is shaping the world now. Like yeah. I, I remember going to Tower Records to buy a Pearl Jam or a Red Hot Chili Peppers record at midnight, and I I feel like um, artists. And, and look, if, if Leonardo DiCaprio walked down the street, I'm sure, you know, people would be in awe of him. Or if, you know, if, if Tina Turner was walking down the street, I just saw the documentary just for a better yeah. example, just sticking with music. But I don't know, like, have, 
have you seen um, a shift? And I guess to your point, like, it. Do you feel like you have to be on social media to 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 show what you're doing, or and then even like you brought up like that story with the bass player just sitting back and then all of a sudden showing like it feels like the fast show off people are surviving or doing well in this world. I, I don't or maybe yeah. I'm generalizing potentially, but I don't know. It's just I'm intrigued and confused by it all. I think you said it right. I feel like I need to do that. But the reality is if we start striving and living from a place of striving, then we're not living a quality of life, or at least I'm not living the quality of life that I want to live. Yeah. I do not want to th- be worried about, in fact, I mean, the, the paradox is that I, I do think about it. In fact, today I was thinking, well, I haven't done a video or something in a, in a little bit. I'm, and then I'm wondering if like that's going to affect. Now I was on vacation and I was with my family in Hawaii. Like, are you serious? Like, what, what, at the end of my life, am I going to worry about that video I didn't post that first week of May or the family vacation in Hawaii? Of course. And so I'm trying to live and make choices about that of the bigger rocks in my life and not the little things. And so I'm not, I, I can easily like be, oh man, I'm not getting, I'm still not getting work and maybe I need to Instagram more, but that is not the economy I want to live in. And I cannot put my faith in Instagram to get me work. If it's not something else, it's certainly not Instagram. So I, uh, I feel like it's a tool just like Facebook and communication about staying involved in people's minds and connecting with them on a social level. But to try and see like, Hey, did you see my video? I'm getting better. Like, you know, hire me. Like that's not how it's going to work. <laughs> I feel like the only way social media works and I don't, also don't think there are producers scrolling through Instagram hoping to find a bass player that impresses them that they can DM. Like, it's still going to be word of mouth and reputation. And if they go to your Instagram and they like the art you're creating or the content you're putting out about humanity and who you are as a, as a human, as a man, I think that's going to speak more volume than, you know, how fast I can play or how, what good tones I can get out of my, my apartment or my, my studio. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it's changing things, but I think, I think the, the downfall is when people start to put their hope in it and they start to treat it like it's going to be a provider for them because the reality is it's taking from them. It's forcing their habits and their hand and their shopping and their thoughts and creating all sorts of jealousy and competition and striving and it's not healthy. So you got to be above that machine and really know you know, when, when it's starting to take away and deplete from your calling and your purpose and your, you know, in your heart. Yeah. <laughs> so no, man, I, 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 I'm going to probably use what you said as like the teaser or something for this podcast episode, because <laughs> no, that was very well said. And, and I'm not naive here to think that, uh, or I'm not like a Luddite, just not using tech. You know, I, I, I love technology. I, I love like to be able to record as much as I can at home is, is incredible. Sure. It's great. Yeah. Um, but I know for me, I feel more alive and more expansive and like the 3D version of me when, yeah. I, when I'm like talking, when I'm actually 
you know, performing a song or singing a song or, you know, reading a book or watching, like, I don't know, the experience of going to the theater. I I don't know. These are all big experiences. Yeah. And it feels like the world is sort of like shrinking us in this strange way. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I know. It's in one way is the, in what, you know, Facebook and Instagram bring people together and you can see families and kids growing up and stuff. And in other ways, it's, uh, yeah, it's, 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 I think it's, it's chipping away at the fabric of humanity in some ways. And yeah. all you have to do is watch a few documentaries and you see a different perspective. Oh, I never thought about that, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and again, it's just where you're placing your hope and, and, you know, you just can't, can't put your hope in that stuff. But it's it's amazing to me, and I'll move on soon, but it's amazing to me that I really think of you as one of the finest musicians, like, in, in the world of music. Thank you. No, like, so nice. like really. Um, and even, you know, you could have those moments where you're like, huh, should I post on Instagram? Or right. it's like, yeah. God, I mean, it's like, no, of course not. But yeah. like, but like, I'm, of course I go there too. It's just, it's so yeah. stupid and infantile, but it's yeah. just like, man, I, and I think about like the amount of wasted time that sort of collectively goes towards thinking that is just so silly, yeah. but it's so silly and that our kids watch it and and that you know it just perpetuates so we have to be really proactive about that stuff and teach them how to navigate that you know with health yeah yeah. that's what we're after yeah well and i guess last question and then one other thing and i'll let you go but and i don't if you don't want to answer or just say whatever you have but i am intrigued though like with with having kids um like is is that how much are you talking about it or aware of it or, or like, cause I, I just, I think it's, I, I feel lucky that I've lived before my smartphone and technology. Yeah. Um, I mean, I don't know. Is that something that you guys, yeah, it's not, you know, we, we have, we have friends whose kids are, you know, just now getting phones. My kids are 10 uh, and, and seven. So they're a little young for, you know, I mean, they want, they want a phone, but they're still a little young and we're a little bit protective. They they can't go searching on YouTube. They, they, you know, we have parental locks. We have certain times that they can be on. They don't even really have a device at this point to get online unless it's school and that's monitored. So, but they watch stuff that, you know, involves people saying, click the like button, subscribe. And it's developing in them that that's, what it takes to be successful is that people need to like and, Mm. and subscribe to what you have to offer. And, um, that's just not good. So we're trying to model what it looks like to not, and we, we talk about it a lot. We're just like, that stuff doesn't matter. It doesn't matter about the likes and we, and we have to model that and show them that we're not trying to do that either. And, but then if something like, you know, if one of my wife's things or my things kind of takes off then we celebrate that, but we celebrate it with, you know, humility <laughs> and it's, and it means nothing other than, Hey, we had a little bit of a win, but this doesn't mean that we are better people now. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. So that's what we're trying to teach them.
I'm thinking about at what point did you know that this was something that you want to do for the rest of your life? You know, do you remember that? Or did and did you even think that that was possible? Just the idea of, you know, making a living as, a, as an artist. So did it ever feel uh, too daunting or just, you know, all of that? No, I mean, like I, it started through jazz. Like I just was, I loved playing jazz and I got to, I got a scholarship to the North, to the University of North Texas to study jazz. And then I went and I got a full scholarship to Cal State Fullerton to play in their orchestra. And then I moved to Cal State Northridge like a few semesters later to study jazz and I got a big scholarship there. So it was like I was in school for like six years in college. And during that time, I just morphed into doing like I got a top 40 band playing mm. and I started to do weddings. I actually toured with Tony Danza, believe it or not, for like <laughs> three years, a Vegas act. Wow. I was I was 21, 22 years old. And um so it kind of like right out of, I was doing music full time in college and then I started to just do work and then college ended and I still had these gigs. And so I was like, I guess I'm going to just keep playing until I stop getting called. And there was never a slow time. Wow. It just, I always had work and it's all, it's completely changed from when it was back then. And I have slow times now, obviously last year was the biggest, but still you know it's still coming in so i i never like i don't have a manager i did never work like that i was never with an agency i just tried to play the bass well and be nice <laughs> yeah. yeah it's amazing how just being nice will actually get you pretty far <laughs> yeah yeah well i guess it's at it last um i was listening to nancy wilson on the mark Marin show and she was talking about um you know, if, if, if you get like four or five years out of being an artist, you're doing well. Like yeah. there's a reason why, you know, U2's records, every one isn't great. And, and a, lot yeah. of, a lot of them are great. But, yeah. you know, and I'm like the biggest radio fan, but objectively speaking, you know, once after like Kid A or In Rainbow, no, after In Rainbows, I wasn't really, in, you know, impressed anymore. I'll still go to yeah. their shows, but um, I, I just, I think you've got like this incubation period where you create your best stuff. Maybe I don't, yeah. I don't, I'm not sure, but I, I guess I'm bringing that point up to compliment you because I feel like you have really managed to, to, to sustain a career. I think doing, being an artist for, you know, multiple decades and, and going through the changes of, of like, you know, uh, electronic drums, nor, you know, no, quote, right, right, quote yeah. unquote, normal drums, whatever that, even, you know, like uh, analog right. drums or something. I don't know. Yeah. I just, I just feel like you need to somehow figure that out. And I feel like you have. Yeah. Well, I, you know, again, I think it's, you know, I think a lot of it's diversity and just being open to, to new things and different things. And that's really what's kept, kept me going. Um, just having that flexibility. So, uh, yeah, I'm super glad my daughter just came in. Yeah. Hi. She's like, I've had um, it with the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
No, that was so, my, that's my last question, so don't worry. But yeah, yeah, I I, I think I answered that. Yeah, it's been um, it's been I've been I've been really blessed and lucky to you know I try and do everything that I get to do uh, you know, as best I can and really like bring my bring what I bring to it um, and try not to chase things or try and be something I'm not. I remember one of the very first sessions I did a commercial session and. I was subbing for Mike Elizondo and Mike Elizondo is a, a friend, um, but also one of the best producers and bass players in the world. And uh, I was really intimidated. Even this was 20 years ago. I was really intimidated. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I tried to think like, what would Mike do? And, what, and I was completely frozen. And then the drummer who was Kurt Biscara, he came over and he was like, dude, just play, you know, just play the way you play. And I, I didn't even know who he was. Um, and it was awesome. And once I just let that wall down and I was just myself, like everything shifted. And so that's what I've been trying to do ever since, you know? Yeah. No, that, I mean, you've really given a lot of wonderful stories that I, it's just, you really like hold on to them. So yeah, Dan, that's it, man. I, uh, uh, I, I'm just been a big fan. I, I met you years ago, like, um, yeah through Evan Beagle on my first record. And yeah, I, man. good times. I Love know those you brought the bit, yeah. you brought the upright bass. I remember. Yeah. And, um, nice. yeah, I just, my la the two records after that, that I recorded the, the producers and the guitar players played the bass. Um, yeah. so this one I've done on my own and I, I thought about you and I'm so glad that I'm just so glad that I reached out. I'm so glad your playing is amazing. You're, you're so sensitive to the song. I appreciate it. Man, thank you. I'm so glad you reached out, too. It was a pleasure to play on some stuff all these years later. Yeah, I know, right? It's crazy, the time. Yeah. Um, well, awesome talking. This will go live in like a week or so. I, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk to you. My pleasure, Eddie. Thanks for having me, man. It's yeah. an honor. Yeah, I'll talk to you soon. Okay, man. Later, dude. Uh,